Hi, this is Bill Arnold. Missed a show or need me talking to help you sleep tonight? I have several solutions to that situation. Here are the podcasts from the show. You are the best for listening and supporting Faith Radio. Afternoons with me. I'm Bill Arnold. And, you know, there's a lot of people suffering today. I think there's a lot of, of personality problems that people have. There's personality disorders in our society today. And we're concerned as to how we walk alongside people suffering, how we do that in Christ, how we love someone who's battling one of these personality disorders. And Todd Mulligan is with me today. He is, of course, an author and counselor at uh, toddmulliken.com, and we are going to chat with him today about this very topic. And Todd, I'm always glad to have you in studio. Thank you so much for being here. Thank you so much, Bill. I really appreciate it. You know, I just saw in the news today that there is some artificial intelligence algorithm that is able to pick up personality disorders based on how people are making uh, uh, social media comments. <laughs> I'm not surprised. Isn't that nuts? Right. Yeah. Well, yeah, our, our level of personality disorders might be increasing if they're going to base it on that. So, yeah. Yeah. Right. <laughs> right. But, I mean, it's an inter- interesting concept. If you are saying certain things, you might be displaying a certain personality mm. disorder, and, and they can pick that up with the algorithm. So um, let's let's talk. Let's spend a little time just talking about some of the ones that maybe are more common and ones that people might be suffering with today. Sure. Well, maybe... A step back real quick. Uh, So the most common mental health issues in our world are anxiety, depression, and ADHD. And those are the most common. But personality disorders come next along with PTSD. So, But we don't usually talk about personality disorders a whole bunch. I know you and I have talked on the show about narcissism a fair amount. And uh, narcissism is still one of the most common, but the one that we haven't talked about a bunch that's really common is called borderline personality disorder. And uh, narcissism and borderline are in a cluster of personality disorders that we call cluster B, which are highlighted by drama. So uh, to have a personality disorder, whichever one of the 10 and, you know, there are 10, but we'll just talk about a few on the show that are most common. But to have a personality disorder, somebody has to have have a chronic maladaptive pattern of behavior. So, you know, somebody that battles depression, Bill, isn't always depressed. Somebody that battles anxiety may have, you know, quiet times of anxiety or louder times of anxiety. Somebody that has impulsivity of ADHD or some inattention will kind of go in and out. Even with bipolar disorder, it's more episodic. But personality disorders, the way I like to talk about them is the symptoms that they battle really have fully integrated into their personality. I mean, it's a a fairly predominant problem that these folks battle with. And so... And usually the problems, irregardless of the personality disorder, tend to be in their affect. So they have a lot of trouble with emotional regulation. Their affect is very vulnerable to swings and to significant ups and downs. And then one of the other battles they have is with impulse control. So when you're 
when you're battling that yourself, it's really hard because you're constantly in that mode of, God, I'm not doing well enough. I'm feeling all these different feelings that are really loud. And usually those people grew up in a pattern of chronic trauma. So the pattern that they're developed, that they develop, Bill, is chronic in nature. And so their affect is very dysregulated. Their capacity to manage impulses is fairly limited. And there are good treatments available for things, so we can talk about that in a little bit. But yeah. um, So that's just a brief overview of them. Then I can go into borderline if you'd like unless you have any questions first or no I do, I do want to go into that let me before we get to that yeah if i have a personality disorder and i might likely have one um would i know it <laughs> or, or would i have to be told yeah i mean it's the way of it's how i think about myself and others i'm sure this is what makes up a personality disorder but uh if i'm not thinking about myself in a clear way and I'm thinking I'm fine when, in fact, you might look and go, well, you got a severe personality disorder. Uh, how, do, how, do I, how do I figure that out? How do I know that I have one? It's a great question. And in general, one thing to always remember is that all mental health issues are on a continuum, meaning somebody could have one symptom of uh, a narcissism. Somebody could have one symptom of generalized anxiety or somebody could have all of them right so if somebody has a mild condition my experience is usually they're aware they're more aware of their condition because it's not so all-encompassing it hasn't become so chronic that they keep feeding it or being uh, vulnerable to continuing the pattern so usually we find that the more severe the diagnosis is bill uh, the least aware they are of it if that makes sense it does. Yep. And that's if, that's what gets yeah. tricky when you're walking alongside a family member, a loved one, a friend who's in the battle. Uh it's very and we'll talk about some strategies how to how to navigate that in Jesus, but it is hard and delicate. Yeah. And if you are walking alongside someone that you are pretty confident they have a disorder of some kind and you would like uh some counsel or a little bit of uh we can love on you, let us know what kind of situation you're in. You can text it over to eight seven seven nine three three two four eight four ty can help you navigate some of the, of the way that you're walking through this uh situation that you're in all right todd let's get uh, more specific now on some of the borderline stuff you'd mentioned earlier yeah so borderline personality disorder is is you know it's fairly common in clinical circles bill meaning like one of the it's probably the most commonly treated personality disorder so we're very aware of it but uh, the word borderline isn't meant to infer that they kind of are on the border of having a personality disorder. What borderline means is they are on this border of love and hate. They're on this border of overvaluing somebody and then devalue them, be devaluing them right away. So they're they're flipping a lot into uh, ex, you know excessive kinds of. Um, uh, enmeshment with the person and overvaluing that person and being very easily hurt and crushed by that person mm. and then getting very, you know, uh, you know, just feeling very hurt and abandoned themselves. One of the main fears that they have is a deep fear of abandonment. And in in many situations that I've seen when I work with borderline disorder folks is they may have had a parent that said, I love you, I can't stand you. You're amazing. I wish you were never born. Kind of this push and pull 
push and pull. So naturally, if you think of the natural evolution of living in that all the time, they end up kind of doing that with the people all around them. You know, uh, they draw them in through deep love and encouragement and almost excessive kind of enmeshment, and then they can't stand them. You know, this push and pull discontinues because that's what they learned with their attachment style. So it's very difficult uh, for, the, for the borderline person to, to, to regulate that and manage that. And the loudest of the, the, all the symptoms of borderline that has been researched is called affect instability, meaning... You just, you know, when you're living with that uh, individual who suffers from that, you just don't know what you're going to get because their affect, their um, moods are, have so much uh, back and forth to them based on how they're feeling and based on how they're interpreting the messages coming from a friend, a loved one, a spouse, uh, an adult child. So it, it like narcissism, Bill, you know, when you and I have talked about narcissism, when you are exposed to that type of individual, it's easy to become very codependent. It's easy to go, God, if I say this, he or she might do that, or if I do it this way, this might be wrong. So those are some of the main symptoms of borderline, this excessive, really the battle they're in is this back and forth of, I love you, I can't stand you, oh, you're amazing, oh, I wish you weren't here. Um, and one of the most recent borderline books that was written says... Um, I think it's titled, uh, I hate you, please don't leave me. I hate you, mm. please don't leave me, this push and pull. And so it's, you know, those people are in a lot of pain, a lot of suffering because they were chronically exposed to trauma that kept repeating that message. Todd, it seems that a lot of people probably grew up with a lot of affirmation uh, punctuated with an occasional frustration from a parent. Or sure. something came out of their mouth that they maybe wish they could have taken back that they maybe never apologized for, but is stuck in their brain forever. Mm. Does that make does that make them more prone to being a, a borderline kind of person? It's a great question. I think again we would offer this on a continuum, right? The parent that, like most parents do, that mean very well might have times of, like you said beautifully, they affirm and then they they have to correct and then maybe in the correction, maybe they over you know they overemphasize the correction or they get very dysregulated or they they sin in their anger, if you will, like Ephesians four twenty six says, hey, you know it's okay to be angry, but don't sin in it, you know, or they withhold or they create silent treatment. So, yeah, if I guess I would say is that the most, if they're really severe in the correction part and don't soothe, which doesn't mean there isn't truth and grace, but if there's a real chronic back and forth that's very intense on the edges, then somebody could be more vulnerable to that um, uh, borderline condition. And just real quick, one thing that happens in my field a lot is we, we misinterpret borderline with borderline person or with a bipolar disorder. So in a couple of weeks in St. Paul, I'm speaking on uh, this uh, newer term we're calling border polar. It's people that actually have borderline personality disorder and also have bipolar disorder. But sometimes people are misdiagnosed with bipolar because bipolar is very up and down back and forth too but they're very different um, conditions which which we can talk about if you'd like at some point but I think what's most important to realize if if we have borderline is that we're on this border of back and forth of feeling immense care for this person and really being hurt easily by that person and that uh, creates a lot of affect instability and it's really hard Todd I'm not sure I understand bipolar very much it seems that when I hear of bipolar uh, incidents, they're so extreme. They're they're so black and white that I go, 
oh, I get it. That's bipolar. Mm. You know, one minute you're uh, picking flowers in the backyard, and the, and the next minute you're you're caught speeding at 120 miles an hour <laughs> down the highway, yeah. Yeah. Uh, saying I'm I'm on my way to a Beatles concert, and mm. I'm going, whoa, whoa, okay, there we go. There, there's bipolar. As I understand it. Yeah, and there's two types of bipolar real quick. Bipolar one is what you're talking about, is people that are exposed to mania episodes, and the mania okay. is reckless that, and grandiose, right? So okay. their, their episodic nature is more on the manic side, and occasionally they might have a depressive episode. Bipolar two people are often people that are missed. Bipolar two are people that are in crushing long-term depressive episodes that are very deep and chronic and long, And then they'll bounce out of that in what we call a hypomanic episode, which is shorter, not as intense, and certainly not going 120 miles an hour. But they'll have moments of intense dysregulation and maybe a little bit of a roll of the dice, but not as reckless, not as destructive, not as grandiose. So it's nice to to know the difference between those two ways that bipolar disorder uh, shows itself. Because we miss mm-hmm. the depressive part a lot. With people that have, are crippled with bipolar depression, we just think they, if you will, just have depression, where sometimes they have untreated bipolar disorder, which is really, um, and we miss that, and that can really be difficult for that person who's battling um, that deep, long, depressive episode, and we want to treat that in different ways. But that's a little bit about mm-hmm. bipolar. Yeah. Todd Mulliken is my guest. He's a uh, counselor, author, and speaker on marriage and families. You can... Uh, head over to toddmulliken.com to learn more about his counseling and his services, M-U-L-L-I-K-E-N. We're talking about personality uh, disorders and people that suffer. And as Christians, how do we walk alongside a loved one who battles one of them? And if that is your situation, uh, you can reach out to us. Of course, remain anonymous. We would love to hear uh, what you're doing, what you're going through, how you're uh, uh, making this uh, work for you uh, 877-933-2484. We'll be right back. people in our lives to pray for and we walk alongside people who suffer and who have uh, personality disorder issues Todd Mulliken is my guest we are talking about that very topic personality disorders you can uh, learn more about Todd at toddmulliken.com Todd let's um, let's hear about some of the other disorders sure just to in the same cluster as borderline is narcissistic personality disorder and the headlines there are lack of empathy uh, haughty and arrogant behaviors. Uh, they make demands, not requests. Uh, they tend to bring the conversation back to themselves. They have an excessive need to be admired and acknowledged by things. So it it's different than borderline in the sense that it's the lack of empathy is louder and it feels uh, like it, it's more consistent, if you will. It's not as uh, up and down like borderline can be, if that makes sense, because borderline has those that's those swings back and forth of overvaluing and then devaluing, just like 
the person that, you know, you feel like um, they're your best friend and they're all in and then just a flip of a switch, something happened that you didn't expect they would go there with it. And whereas with narcissism, it's a, it's a, you know, the chronic behavior there is, is haughty and arrogant and kind of last word Lorraine's, last word Larry's, um, you know, bringing the conversation back to themselves and, so that also has drama to it because it's very hard to live with and it's hard to know how to navigate and and deal with that type of condition as well. So both of those disorders, I think, you know, are, are uh, two of the most common. And when we're talking about common, we're talking about a lifetime prevalence bill, probably of five or six to seven percent of the of the population. So it's not a ton, but it's a lot of people. And so... Yeah. It's not, again, it's not as common as ADHD, as depression, as um, anxiety, um, PTSD is around 7 to 8%. So it's, but it's, it's common and enough where we, when we just don't, you know, we don't naturally talk about it from the pulpit. We don't hear how to uh, deal with those really difficult situations uh, with a friend, with a loved one. So it's good to, that we're talking through what the disorder, the most common ones actually are. And what those symptoms look like, so we can be aware of that. So that's a little mm-hmm. bit of the difference between borderline and narcissism. Yeah, Todd. Let me take a, just a couple of questions as we walk sure. through this. Um, this dear listener says, "I think my mom, age sixty, struggles with either ADHD or narcissism, perhaps both. She balks at the faintest idea of counseling, but as her daughter, I see how her relationships suffer, and she seems to struggle in her personal life as well. Do you have any advice for me?" Mm. Well, those can be a great question. Uh, so, and common, we, ha- we call it comorbidity when there may be more than one disorder going on. We, there's a comorbid condition. So the impulsivity of ADHD, Bill, the kind of the fire-ready aim, kind of shoot stuff out before thinking along with that kind of demanding nature of narcissism can be very loud emotionally. So I think, you know, this this amazing caller is needing to... To be, uh, to let her mom in and not be defined by how it goes, but be more defined by her intentions. So a moment might be, God, when that happened yesterday, mom, that was really hard for me to hear you say that, or I felt shut down. And mom will probably bring it back to uh, to the daughter and blame and be angry with her for bringing it up. And I can't believe you're talking about this. And so usually the person will then say, well, it's not worth bringing it up because it, you know, it didn't, nothing came from it, if that makes sense. So the codependent tends to be more defined by how it goes versus just being honest about where they're at and letting that person in. And then saying, you know, my, and the response you're making, my mom has really been, it, it shuts me down and I'm really sad. Um, so we're letting them into the, what we're feeling and what we're experiencing. And in that moment, nothing will work. But what we're hope, but now what we have, Bill, is we have something that's on the table, right? This person has brought something up and it's on the table. And so the next time it happens, we're going to bring it up again. We're not looking for a fight. We're not picking a fight. We're praying for healing and restoration. But if this condition continues, which is likely to, uh, we're going to bring it up. And then at some point... We'll also bring up the fact that, you know, I'm, uh, you know, she's not open to counseling, like your listener said. So you are then saying, Gal, and I'm getting help for this because I'm, I, I feel hopeless. I feel alone. I feel unloved. I'm for you, mom. I love you, but I'm scared. I, I don't know what to do. And so I'm getting help myself. But 
I really hope you'll get some help too, Mom, and I'm even willing to go with you. So it's that kind of posture. It's not a one-off conversation. It's an ongoing journey. Um, So I think this person needs to be really kind to herself and know that the Holy Spirit's holding her in that, and it's not a one-off. It's a generational thing. (laughs) But to know that God's with her and comforting her as she's living in that very difficult situation. Mm -hmm. We're talking about personality disorders with Todd Mulliken. And Todd, another question that came in, my mother-in-law is a textbook narcissist. How do I help my wife who struggles with having a relationship with her and sometimes has similar tendencies? Mm. Yeah, I guess the first thing would be is to get, get his James on, James one nineteen, right? To listen, be quick to listen to his wife, which I'm sure he is, and let give her space to talk through the pain she's feeling in her dance with her mom. Quick to listen, slow to speak, to start, and to listen well, and to uh, not fix but listen, walk alongside versus take it on, uh, be empathetic towards his wife for what she's going through, and not codependent on a reaction. And then, you know, uh, not every five minutes, but pick a spot, pray for a spot, pray for a window where maybe, you know, because what might come out is uh, if she's vulnerable enough, she might even say, golly, I, I, I think I, I remind myself of my mom there. What was that? And then he wouldn't, that wouldn't be the time where he'd say, yes, I've been noticing that for the last hundred years. You know, he would say, golly, I hear you, hon. I love you. Um, yeah. What's your thoughts about that? You know, so give, if there's that opportunity where she has some vulnerability and she lets him in, which may not happen, but sometimes it does. If that does, that's the time just to listen and create some traction there. So she has some awareness. That's if, interesting. Yeah. Go ahead. Yeah. I, I brought this up, I think last week. And I the question I posed was, as you get older, are, do you find yourself getting more like your parents or less like your parents? Mm. Yeah. And how would you answer that, Todd? I would would say, you know, if you're noticing like you're becoming more like your parents, then then there's hope. (laughs) I mean, then you're at least you have awareness and go, oh, yeah. I mean, and again, the the best and the worst parents do the best they can. So it's not piling on the folks, but it's just saying, yeah, right. Yeah. And I hope I I hope I'm becoming more (laughs) like my parents. Oh, I love that. Exactly. Yeah, it's true. Yeah, that's wonderful. So, like, yeah, and, and the best parts and the most uh, delicate parts, we're, we're trying to, again, take with us the blessings and trying to um, redirect some of the hurts and the struggles we've had. So, but yeah, mm-hmm. you're right. Usually, I always tell couples, hey, you know, usually um, your marriage will be, you know, as wonderful as or as difficult as your folks, unless you are intentionally trying to continue to grow closer to each other. So, mm-hmm. yeah, great question. Yeah. I don't think I've got time for another question, but I got a whole bunch coming in. So we'll we'll go back after the break uh, as we're talking about personality disorders with my guest Todd Mulliken. Uh, Todd's website is Todd Mulliken T O D D M U L L I K E N dot com. You can learn more about his work and his books. He's also written a number of books, and he's amazing. We'll take a short break and be right back. Let's get it started. 
I'm so glad to be back and have Todd Mulliken as my guest. Todd is a uh, licensed counselor and a marriage uh, therapist and author and professor, and always glad to have him on. So, Todd, uh, we opened up uh, quite an interesting topic today with personality disorders, getting lots of uh, comments coming in, some questions. It's all really good. If you are walking alongside someone who has a personality disorder and you would like some insight, maybe some counsel, let me know what your question is. Of course, you can remain anonymous, 877-933-2484. Mike said, uh, this is just relative to what we just talked about. Why do women get upset when you say they sound like their mother and the greatest compliment you can give most men is to say they sound like their father? (laughs) He He says it's a general assumption and it doesn't apply to all. I'm glad he said the last part, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah i i do think like there are some things as a couple we you just don't go there right and that is one of them and i i think it can be the, the same way for for the male too you know he were sure yeah yeah you know you yeah. but yeah i think and he said it so well mike said it so well and i think what happens in marriage is we're all very good like i'm i'm a champion at knowing laura's issues and where they came from and she's a champion of knowing mine and where they came from right and which is great yay but let's pray for versus keep score right so it's just always something we we are regulating in our marriages where let's work on our own side of the street let's let our spouse in about something we're noticing but let's also just, you know, keep our side uh, cleaned up. But, yeah, what a great – that's one of those statements you just – you don't go there because it's not going to be helpful or productive. Yeah. All right, Todd, here's another great question. What if we suspect we might struggle with one of these disorders versus just having tendencies that mimic their conditions? Yeah, wow, so well said. So uh, for something to become a disorder – versus, a, you know, just uh, something that isn't, uh, it is the level of impairment it's causing in our functioning, right? So somebody is, you know, fairly direct and they are fairly confident and they tend to speak their mind and tend to be a truth teller. Well, some a person who's been scarred in their upbringing by a real narcissist might view that person as a narcissist when they actually aren't. You know, they're just somebody that's kind of direct and, but doesn't always have to be right, doesn't, but also has empathy and also recognizes their own foibles, right? And so I think uh, if somebody is recognizing within themselves uh, tendencies that are like one of the disorders, I think that's just a wonderful insight to say, hey, Lord, how can I bring that to the Lord and how can I, you know, have him kind of show me through the power of the Holy Spirit comfort and insight into how I regulate this behavior, how I bring this behavior to him, how I have accountability with a friend who's kind of holding me to that or getting some help. Hey, I'm seeing a counselor just for this tweak and here's what I'm noticing. So I love the fact that we're catching the mimicking and kind of the thing that kind of reminds us of, because then it also can prevent us from it becoming a full-blown disorder. So many conditions that aren't a disorder actually become a disorder because of chronic stress that all of a sudden whoop, flips you into it. And then you are in it and now it's harder to get out of it. So I, I love the preventative 
question there and kind of looking in our own mirror uh, and taking a log out of our own eye and looking at, hey, you know, Lord, that God, that piece is on me. And I'm noticing that. I, I just love that vulnerability from that um, from that listener. I do too. All right, here's another one. Todd, when someone has a bipolar disorder diagnosis, how should you handle lying behavior? May they, maybe they're just truly delusional. Yeah, so I think the upside of bipolar is that it tends to be episodic, meaning uh, somebody, you know, so the, the, in the mania condition, in the manic episode, uh, that's when the lying is more vulnerable, you know, because they're grandiose, they're reckless, uh, and they are really making decisions that are horrific, and lying will be a piece of the package. So what we're trying to do in that situation is have an agreement as a couple, as a family, where, hey, if, if episodic stuff starts coming, we will, we will address that. We receive permission from the person with a bipolar diagnosis to address that as a family. We're, we're, we're for you. We love you. We're noticing some vulnerability there, and we'd like you to go back and see, you know, your counselor and um, want to make sure uh, the meds are being taken. Because usually with bipolar, the treatment strategy is medicine first, therapy second, actually. With most conditions, most personality disorders, it's therapy first and maybe medicine. (laughs) So with bipolar diagnosis, it's a real deal. We're trying to uh, regulate that person from going into mania or if they have bipolar two, we're trying to regulate them from not getting into a deep depressive episode. So the line with bipolar two bill would be probably more of the avoidant. Uh, you know, I'm just not letting people in. I'm doing a lot of white lies. I'm avoiding the mess, avoiding the mess. I'm not being truthful that way. Whereas the line with bipolar one and the mania, the manic condition is really much, Hey, I'm going to do what I got to do. I'm going to go, I'm going to exploit I'm going to manipulate. I'm all in because I got to get this done. This reckless behavior, this grandiosity. I'm feeling. I'm. I'm all in. I don't care who I run over with a truck emotionally. So we confront the lying with bipolar one in real time. Uh, but it's better to have kind of a family agreement uh, to talk about that ahead of time. That we know. Hey, if there's some slippage, if the episode is kind of coming soon to a theater near us, we are we are addressing that, and we're, we might even see it like that like that um, listener said so well, in perhaps that type of behavior pattern like lying. Mm-hmm. I appreciate the fact that the family is looking at it as a family unit because if you've got a drug or alcohol problem that's not improving, sometimes the family does an intervention and we need to get you into rehab. Is there anything available for people who may have a, a borderline personality disorder and they're on a self-destructive path and is there anything that you could suggest for an inter- intervention type scenario? Yeah, one of the best things that's happened with the treatment of borderline personality disorder in the last 10 years is a therapy called DBT, dialectical behavior therapy. And usually what we're, the, the beauty of that therapy is it, it's, it's very um, specific, it's direct, it's, it goes back in the person's past, it offers homework assignments. So it kind of is a culmination of lots of different therapies, Bill, and it usually is done in what we call an intensive outpatient program setting where the person stays at their job, but they go there three days a week or three evenings a week, and they learn a lot of skills, skills like interpersonal effectiveness, skills like mindfulness practices or prayer practices, skills like emotional regulation, 
skills like distress tolerance. You know, how do I tolerate some of the distress I'm feeling? Because with borderline, you really have a hard time tolerating. So ideally, the intervention could be as soft as you will as... um, getting them into an intake uh, for a program that does DBT. And so I think if we suspect a a family member having borderline, it's really good to know, um, you know, talk to a, you know, a respected clinic nearby and see which types of, which clinics provide uh, dialectical behavior therapy services on an outpatient basis, because then we've got stuff in our back pocket that we can bring to that mini intervention and just offer a couple of options and we're for you and we love you and we'd love to go with you to that. So Todd, if I look at borderline personality disorder and I try to kind of in review, I see it kind of as there's a pattern of instability in personal relationships. There's a, a, a wide range of intense emotions. Perhaps there's a, a poor self-image. Uh, that person can also be impulsive and they may go to great lengths to avoid being abandoned. Yeah, that fear of abandonment, it drives it. And, but research, like I mentioned earlier, says that the loudest of all nine is that affect instability. And so, but you'll see, like you said beautifully, you'll see the impulsivity. You'll see, you know, the deep, 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 deep root pain bill, of course, is a fractured view of who they are, right? Mm-hmm. When you've been treated that way for so long, you just you can just lose who you are and um, you don't have a sense of... Um, and, you know, I've worked with plenty of Christians who love Jesus and but who have grown up in that kind of trauma. And so it's really difficult and hard to kind of remember whose they are. And so I think uh, what we're doing is we're walking alongside those people. Uh, we're comforting, we're listening, not fixing. But But with these two disorders, Bill, they have, like I mentioned, a lot of drama and they can cause a lot of chaos overtly in the family. So I don't want to give off like we're just going to be passive, right? But we also, so we're walking that fine line of addressing things. And ideally, uh, you know, the upside, especially with borderline bill, is they'll have times when they're not as much in that borderline stuff. You know, there's less stress. They're in a moment of vulnerability. And that's when we do our, hey, I'm feeling a lot of these things. Uh, what would help look like? And here's, you know, a couple of names of therapists I've heard about, and we really would love to get help with you, and we're for that. And so we're looking and praying for those windows of opportunity where we can get um, that person some help. Because with things like personality disorders, it's uh, help is really needed in order for there to be any kind of change or potential for healing. Yeah. Uh, Todd, let's weave into the story at this juncture of the, our identity in Christ. If a person understands their identity in Christ, how far down this line can they go with their borderline personality disorder if they think they're going to be abandoned? Because mm. Scripture is full of, I will never leave you or, or, or forsake or, you. Or, yeah. Forsake you, yeah. So, yeah. Same yesterday, uh, today, they, and forever, right? Yeah. yeah. Do they mm-hmm. have a full understanding of their identity in Christ? Is it a spiritual issue before... It's a, a, a technical sort of, um, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Yeah, a clinical uh, issue or something. Clinical yeah. issue, yeah. that's the one, yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, no, great question, and it's kind of all of the above, right? It, it, it kind of depends. So 
you know, clearly you can have somebody that grew up in a wonderful Christian home has accepted Christ, but there is a, vul- a deep vulnerability there to this condition because of the chronic trauma they're in. You know, they go to church and they feel loved and accepted and approved, have great worship, great Bible study, but they keep going back home to the trauma and the, the deep debilitating kind of behaviors at age 10, 12, 14, 16, 18, and getting a great youth group, you know what I mean? So they're, so they become an adult and they have traction in their faith. They love the Lord, which is going to be great because they can kind of return to that identity. Even if they're going through the, the DBT process, when they're in the mindfulness practices, they are clearly having opportunities to pray to Jesus, to reorient themselves like, yeah, yeah, here's who my identity is. And that's right. Mm-hmm. And so now they're in that wise mind, they're comforted, they gain more traction in their faith. They get accountability in that and loving people walking alongside them while they're getting some of the help that's needed um, through the other modules of, of DBT. So it's mm-hmm. it's it's kind of the, the best of both, right, where you're really reclaiming whose you are uh, in the Lord and also in that. You know, you're kind of integrating your faith, Bill, and, and taking the power of your faith and your identity in Jesus into these delicate waters and knowing that you're loved, knowing that you're approved, knowing that you're accepted. And that quiets some of the abandonment that's so loud. And I have people do a lot of, you know, reparenting themselves, uh, having their, you know, their father God reparent them, knowing that they are loved and accepted and approved by father God. And mm-hmm. even if they had a battle of trauma with a, a very, you know, unhealthy uh, have, uh, earthly father or earthly mother. Mm-hmm. Todd, what's the best way to handle angry and hurtful outbursts from someone with borderline personality disorders, especially if you're not sitting there with them in the living room? Mm. Yeah, (laughs) and I think it is okay. You know, again, once in the middle of that moment, you know, nothing really works. But when the storms have cleared, we want to let the person in versus take it out on them. I know you've heard me say that statement before, but letting them in says, God, when when it happened, you know, this morning, I, I just... I felt scared. I felt nervous. And uh, it was just really hard to hear what you had to say. And I'm just sad. So, and then it's let it be. Yeah. And, but yeah. we let them into what we're experiencing in the most vulnerable way we can. Now they get dysregulated. They take it personally. They feel abandoned. Whoop, here we go. Well, I did the wrong thing. No, you didn't do the wrong thing. No, you did the right thing. You created a vulnerable moment from your own place of power in the Lord. And you were strong and you were content and you were confident in what you're saying because you get to be. <laughs> Mm-hmm. Um, so I'm much more of a believer of not every five seconds, but when those moments come, we need to, you know, ahead of time, pray, you know, you know, visualize with the Holy Spirit how we're going to address that next moment when it comes and what we're for and creating a vulnerable moment for us to be powerful and content and say how that affected us and what we need. And then, again, it's not a one-off conversation. It's going to be many of those conversations through the story of a borderline. But we're mm-hmm. going to start confronting the mess, Bill, but we're confronting it in a safer way because that person, when the mess was confronted when they were a kid, it never was handled safely. <laughs> you know what I mean? So now we're going to, as their uh, as their spouse, as their adult child, uh, you know, as the parent of a kid who's got that and the parent is getting better, we're going to handle our part well we're going to create an attachment style that's honest, that's authentic, that's talking about delicate stuff, but we're going to handle our part well in Jesus. And sometimes that's what creates little generational shifts over time. Mm-hmm. Todd Mulliken is my guest. We'll take a little break and we're going to come back and continue our discussion on personality disorders. We'll be right back.
Todd Mulligan. We're talking today about personality disorders. Lots of interesting questions have come in, Todd. I want to go back to this uh, last one we talked about, about how to handle angry and hurtful outbursts from someone with a borderline personality disorder. What is the person that's doing the angry outbursts? What is their objective? Are they trying to just ride roughshod over people and take control and say, uh, I don't want to, I want to squash this conversation and my loud outburst is going to just shut down all communication. What are they thinking about? Well, usually they were bullied and now they're bullying. Okay. Right. So what, what helps us to do when we're listening to that is not to be codependent on it and turtle up and be passive and go, Oh, well, they had a bad upbringing, so I'm just not going to say anything. But also it's helpful for us to know we need to see through them like Jesus saw through people. You know what I mean? We need to see and have understanding the reason why they're dysregulated is these three reasons from how they grew up. It's not a blame thing, but it's just a truth. And so that helps, uh, you know, the, the spouse, that helps the family member go, yeah, here's what's going on with their anger. I know why it's there. So I can take a breath and realize they've got a broken leg emotionally, and I get it, and I'm in the room with them, and or I'm not in the room with them, whatever, but I'm I'm going to address it and just let them know how I was impacted by it, but I'm here. And and then I would ask to create an interaction. Here's how I was impacted by what you said, and I'm really hard for me. You know, how about you? What, what was going on for you? We're going to create an interaction. We're going to create a safe volley. Well, Todd, I don't want to do that because then if they get angry, then I did the wrong thing or it's really hurtful. I go, okay, uh, don't be defined by their anger. You know, stay in there, take a breath. And sure, if it's, you know, uh, abusive and chaotic and over the top, then take a time out and leave, of course. But if it's, you know, they're a little dysregulated and they're, you know, getting angry and then just stay centered and say, yeah, this is, you know, this is the stuff that's really hard for me and I'm, I feel I feel alone in this, and but I want to know what you're going through too. Does that make sense to mm-hmm. you? And the only way you and I can do that is really in our own prayer time is see through them, see what their what is their story. Because otherwise, what we do is we become we become like, hey, you know, here's what they're doing. They're waking up today, wanting to make life hard on me. Hey, they're you know, so we start misrepresenting their intentions. Now, sure, there's true exploiters out there, but borderline people are usually just in their own pain. And, you know, hurt people hurt people. And so when they're coming at you, it's usually because they're, they're, they're a mess themselves emotionally. They, they feel less than. They feel not enough. They feel deeply inadequate. They feel like they're going to be left. So the spouse or the family member isn't supposed to rescue that or take care of all that and be the social worker and the pastor. They just need to go, yeah, I know what the truth is about their story. We've talked about it. When they've been in their wise mind, we've talked about it. I know their brokenness. I see that woman at the well, I get it, and here I am, and I'm, you know, going to walk alongside him, but I'm going to let him know how I feel and how it's impacting me. Mm-hmm. So, Todd, we can say that a personality disorder is is more than just having a bad day once in a while. Yeah, it's a it's chronic, a, it's a, maladaptive behavioral condition. Does that make sense? It's right. chronic. It, yes, it's yeah. a pattern. It's a pattern. It's not an incident. Yeah, because and so well said, Bill. Because otherwise, we throw around. Yeah, I'm kind of bipolar, or I think my spouse is this, or yeah, they're narcissistic. Yeah, oh, you know, uh, people have bad days and bad moments. But a personality disorder is a chronic maladaptive condition. That's, uh, you know, it, because it came from a chronic maladaptive place, right? Yeah. The, yeah. yeah, the person grew up in chronic trauma is usually what you see with personality disorders. 
Yeah. So if I have trouble thinking, feeling, acting in ways that just causes me to have a great amount of difficulty functioning normally throughout my day, you might go, hmm, could be a personality disorder. Mm-hmm. You could. Yeah. And if yeah. I'm if I'm thinking that, then it's probably mild, right? Because I have some awareness and I'm looking inside and maybe I'm at a place in my walk with the Lord where I've just been praying about that. Like, Lord, put on my heart, like... I know I've struggled. I know I've got some family patterns here that, you know, that I've struggled with. I don't want to bring that into my new, in my story now, but I think I am. I mean, that is just a great posture, right? It's a posture of vulnerability. It's a posture of brokenness. It's a posture of letting the Lord comfort and advocate and heal. So I just think that's a great posture. If, if And I think we all do much better when we look in our own mirrors, not to point out flaws, but just to kind of go, yeah, Lord, that's... I think I got some of that, and I, I want to do something about that. I mean, and and that's when you see healing. That's when you see restoration, Bill, because that person gets some help, and, you know, their prayer life gets invigorated. You know, at worship, they are all in. You know, when they're reading the Word, it jumps off the page where, you know, uh, about the marginalized and the broken, and that's what Jesus died for, and, like, here we go, right? Then you see some traction, but what tends to happen instead is when I'm feeling like that, I just start blaming other people or, you know, here's what's going on with that person. Here's why I did it. We do the blame game. And then it's just, then we usually don't gain much traction. You know, then mm-hmm. we're then we're more vulnerable actually to give power to our past and and be defined by our past things that have happened to us. And that power, and it can even happen in therapy where we just talk for 150 years about the 10 things that happened wrong in our life. And instead of, yeah, that did happen and we need to get through that and overcome that over time, not overnight, but we also get to be in the business of transformative moves every day, just a little bit, because God is for us. Yeah. Todd, I want to tease this next disorder. I don't know, we don't have time, and I probably did not plan this well, but obsessive compulsive personality disorder, I think there are a lot of people that might have a little bit of this in them. Uh, is that safe to say? Yeah, for sure. It's it's the most common and of the of the ten. And you know, we we mix it up with OCD, but the headlines of OCPD, obsessive compulsive personality disorder, are rigidity, perfectionism. You know this, and and just so I mean, again, there's plenty of people that are rigid. Plenty of us that are perfectionists. We you know, millions of us are like that. So it's not that, but it. It's, uh, there is no room for anything other than that. And obsessive compulsive has lots of obsessive thinking, which leads to compulsive behaviors. And so what we're trying to do with OCPD is, is get the person to relax, slow down. Uh, the number on the TV doesn't have to be an even number. It can be an odd number. Um, you know, the, the, the room, the mud room can have a few things, not, you know, perfect. It's okay. God is with you. Mm-hmm. And so, it, it, but it's really difficult to treat because the rigidity and the perfectionism is so strong and hard. So when you're living in that, when you're exposed to somebody with that, you really are trying to be gentle and, but also say, I, I hear you where you're at with that, but I, I see, I see it differently. And I know that's really hard for you because of your condition. I love you. I'm for you, but I just have a different perspective on that. And so yeah. you're creating dialogues around that. But that's a uh, an important condition to be treated. And it's one we don't talk about a lot. We talk about OCD a lot. But actually, OCD 
is about 1% to 3% lifetime prevalence. So 1% to 3% of the people in the world have OCD. Actually, 55 to 7% of the world have OCPD. So even yeah. so, obsessive-compulsive personality disorder is actually more common than OCD, even I mean, though we don't think that. I mean, that could be someone who's just fixated on lists. Yes. Or, and, or, or fixing it, fixating on small details and missing the main point of the project. Correct, because once you're obsessive about something and you're locked in, then there's a lot of dysregulation that's going on in the brain, and that that condition is uh, we found you know is fairly genetic, and then uh, then with a lot of uh, trauma again, because there has to be trauma typically to create that chronic maladaptive condition. Yeah, Todd, always great having you with me. Thank oh, thanks, you so much Bill, for so much. spending the hour. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's always been great. Todd Mullican has been my guest. You can go to toddmullican.com. M U L L I K. E-N, and that wraps up our show for the day. Thank you so much for being with me. I hope you have enjoyed these couple of hours. I always look forward to being with you, and I hope uh, that if you missed any of it, you might head over to MyFaithRadio.com. Check out the Afternoons with Bill show page, and you can listen to the podcast. I'm a very a good natural sleep aid. I hope you have a great night. Thanks for listening. Programming like this is made available through your support. Information available at MyFaithRadio.com.